Welcome to Dirty Politics Podcast. With me again is Simon Lusk. And tonight, Simon, we're going to talk about what is National's vision, if they've got one. Yeah. What do you reckon? Well, I certainly don't think they've got a vision. I didn't hear anything from any of the five leadership candidates that made me think they had a vision for New Zealand in the kind of the way that their political heroes like Reagan and Thatcher had a vision. No one articulated anything about the free market or getting out of the way of people, getting the government to stop wasting so much money. It was quite strange, really. They all wanted to be Labour-like. But, I mean, I think it goes back to... 2010, not actually understanding what John Key's vision was, and we didn't know what he stood for, didn't have a clue, and you did a bit of a tour of the country interviewing left-wingers, and that was one of the questions. What does John Key stand for? Well, I don't think anybody realised or still realises what John Key stood for. We can have a guess, but the only thing that I can think of that John Key actually stood for was increasing his CV, winning the next election, and then he'd think about winning the next one after that and getting his knighthood and trying to beat Keith Holyoke, which he was never going to do under an MMP environment. Well, I think that Chris Trotter had a pretty plausible explanation for what John Key stood for, and it was the kind of stuff that you'd expect from a good thinker on the left, but it didn't really resonate for what we believed the National Party stood for. It was all about modest change, good stewardship, don't scare the horses. It wasn't a let's get in there and reform the New Zealand economy and make it a better place for all New Zealanders. That's the thing. If you ask people now, I think they're starting to realise that John Key's legacy is actually very thin. And even though he took over and had to deal with the global financial crisis, I'm not sure that Labour would have been any worse had Labour won the 2008 election because they would have retained Michael Cullen as finance minister. Helen Clark would have still been the prime minister And they were actually pretty prudent with how they were managing the economy at the time. So I don't think that they would have done a better job than Bill English. And I think it's a bit of a myth that back then National had any sort of vision, really. They certainly like to portray they do. But to me, and I wrote a post about this the other day, there's not very many people in National these days who actually understand and can elucidate what their core values are. Yeah, and often the ones that can, their core values are conservative Christian values, which are a long way away from middle New Zealand and a long way away from both you and I who are, you know, small state people and practically libertarian on social issues. The government should just get out of people's way and stop worrying about it. Oh, that's the thing too. You had Stephen Joyce who essentially drove the agenda for national via focus groups. But he had no core beliefs in himself. I mean, we had a guy here who was almost Muldoonist in his attitude towards subsidies and grants and corporate welfare, pretending to be a senior person in the National Party. You really wonder about that. It's just corporate welfare is just undeniably evil. And to think that Wellington bureaucrats have a better idea than those who are out in the market, how businesses should run, just How can you be in National and believe that? I mean, that's the party of free enterprise. Instead, there's this massive corporate welfare program set up under a National government. It seems that the overriding vision that National had or professes to have is that somehow they'll do things better than Labour. Yeah, they might, but they're not going to do anything good by just tinkering with what Labour did. I mean, getting back to that point about Cullen and Clark, if they had have continued, well, They may have spent a little bit more, but it wasn't as if National stopped spending. They massively increased government debt and they 
spent like drunken sailors. I mean, it was impressive how much that they managed to spend at the same time as saying, oh, we're being very cautious and prudent. The numbers don't really stack up. They piled the debt on and we just should have been having surpluses and we shouldn't have been spending so much money and we probably should have been hammering away at reducing the cost of living by reducing regulation. And those are basic national tenants as far as everyone imagines, but the tenants weren't implemented in reality. They were ignored. Let's just touch on two people who are supposedly have vision or had vision for the National Party, and they've made a lot of noise in the last week or so. The first, of course, being Bill English, and in his valedictory, he was begging almost on his knees in between the tears that National would continue the social investment program that he claims that he invented for the party. Now, of course, he opposed that social investment campaign. It was actually featured in Nicky Hager's book, The Hollow Men, and he opposed any sort of social investment and and seems to have come to it in the last three years. But as a vision, all that was, the way I saw it, was giving bludgers and ferals more money. It's not going to improve their bludging and their feralism one little bit. It just gave them more money. And I don't think it solved anything, but he's begging for that to continue. Yeah, it's not the great rallying cry for the centre-right that you'd expect. I mean, you look at the era of politicians on the centre-right that everyone that we know admires, and it's Reagan and Thatcher, and they were unequivocally supporting the free market and trying to reduce the size of government rather than increase it, and empowering people by giving them ownership of council houses or reducing the tax rate so they had more money to spend. Those philosophical arguments don't seem to be something that National is willing to have. Well, if you have a look at what they did do, they had a complete rejig of the local body environment, particularly in Auckland. And that went completely against National's core values, added actually more bureaucracy, more complexity, increased rates, increased taxation on ratepayers in Auckland, and stifled, because of their lack of ability to use their votes to do anything meaningful. They didn't even try and do any Resource Management Act reforms until basically the last two years of their government when they'd run out of numbers. Now, if they'd done the Resource Management Act in the first year, then I'd suggest that the housing crisis wouldn't exist anymore because we wouldn't have had all the constraints that were on uh, councils that were lumbered on them by the Resource Management Act. Well, the other thing is, is that had they done a sensible thing and taken up Winston's offer to do something about the RMA in the last term, they probably would have had a deal done before the election and they would have had a working relationship with New Zealand first. And they chose not to. That was pretty small-minded. And they said they couldn't because they didn't have Maori Party and United Future support. And there was Winston with enough votes to get it through. Exactly. They should have said to Peter Dunn, well, you're irrelevant. You wear a bow tie anyway, so we can ignore you, and got rid of him and ignored the Maori Party and gone and done a deal with Winston. That's exactly what should have happened. It may have helped the Maori Party too, because that would have given them a reason to have a big fight with National, which that wouldn't have done them any harm. Yeah, exactly. Now, the second person I wanted to touch on, who's someone who's supposedly the future and the vision of the party, is Amy Adams. And she was appointed as the finance spokesperson for National yesterday. and. She launched into a massive attack on the government and its borrowing plans 
but they haven't even really got started on their borrowing plans yet. But it seemed to me just to be copying Robbo's plan, which is to moan about everything, even if you actually did the same thing when you were in government or planning to do the same thing when you were in government. Well, I don't think that's any surprise. I mean, I listened to her announcement with a puddle of exceptionally wet MPs around her and thought, you're talking about being progressive and you want to be a, the leader of a conservative party. I mean, are you monumentally stupid or are you just deluded? And then talking about climate change. I mean, neither of those issues that the National Party really care about, they don't get national voters out. They're not something that is a proud legacy of the National Party and calling yourself progressive just ludicrous. As soon as somebody says progressive to me, I just want to stab them. But even Simon Bridges used that term. He said he's progressive. The guy's supposed to be an arch conservative. And he stood up and gave his vision, which was that he was going to learn more about his whakapapa and learn to speak to Rio better. He can barely speak English. Yeah. And he's banging on to the National Party, to members and to MPs about whakapapa. No one cares in the National Party. You know, Morris Williamson told me in the 90s, and I kept teasing about him until he resigned from Parliament. He said to me he had a spreadsheet that worked out on an algorithmic scale how much money National had to give to Maori in order to have them stop voting for National entirely. And he came to that conclusion because of all the settlements that Doug Graham was pouring billions of dollars into Maori, where a whole another couple of decades further down the track from that, we've poured billions more into the settlement process, and Maori still don't vote for National, so God knows why Simon Bridges stood there banging on about helping Maori, doing things for Maori and everything else. As part of his vision, he said, I'm a proud Westie. The guy's first car was a Mazda MX-5 girl's car with a convertible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, straight away, his Westie credentials are out the window, and I'm still wondering what his vision is. Well, the thing that surprised me is that, you know, to go on about your whakapapa and speaking to Rayo, that's just bullshit. I mean, he could have said, I care about Maoris enough to want to do something about the long brown tail of our education system. And that's why I'm standing up for charter schools. That's why I want parental choice in education. Education is a civil right, not an industrial relations dispute. And we've got to break the teacher union monopoly over our education system. All good core right-wing things that would make a real difference to Maori. And yet he didn't mention any of that. He rabbited on about speaking mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, and then, then you had you know John Key and Bill English sucked up to the unions for their entire term, sucked up to Helen Kelly, all on the basis that they didn't want to have strikes and they didn't want to have this, and where did it get them? They had perfect opportunities with the numbers in the House to absolutely finish off the work that Jim Bolger started. And you have to give Jim Bolger credit, even though he's turned into a grumpy old socialist. You have to give him credit that he actually had a crack at the unions and demolished them, but didn't quite finish it off. But John Key had the goodwill, he had the wherewithal, he had the votes, and he didn't do it. And I can't see Simon Bridges doing that either. And that's the key issue for me, is that the unions, there's already been more strikes in the first four months of this government than there was in nine years of national. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's any surprise. I mean, today, the teachers union who were going to line up national for a 14% pay rise have decided they'll up it to 16% pay rise. And they'll probably get it too. It'll blow Robbo's budget, but he'll find a way of paying them what they want. But you are absolutely right. Simon Bridges should have said the key to getting people out of poverty, the key isn't giving them more money. It isn't giving them increased minimum wage. It isn't any of the things that Jacinda Ardern is standing for. The key to getting out of poverty is meaningful and valid for the future education. 
And it isn't sending people to these hopeless tertiary education so they can learn how to put things in manila folders and put them in filing cabinets and useless stuff like that. Like proper tertiary education, educating people for the future. Education is how you get out of poverty. And almost everybody who's got ahead in life has got ahead either because they're smart naturally or that they've gone out and worked hard and got themselves an education and advanced themselves. That's the key, not increased minimum wages. That's just going to cause automation and it's going to cause unemployment. And National is a party that believes in individual responsibility and the primacy of the individual over the primacy of the state, unlike Labor. Talk about the absolute tragedy of these kids that are missing out on an education because the teachers' union have got a monopoly. They allow dud teachers to stay in the industry and dud schools to continue rather than getting closed down. Yeah, one thing I learned from unions when I was a kid and had to belong and it was forced on us and in my early years working is that unions represented the lowest common denominator. And that's fine, but they don't represent anybody else. And as a result, then you get organisations that become moribund. A classic example of where unions have absolutely rooted industries is in Australia in the automobile industry. Two manufacturing plants, you know, Ford and Holden, gone, completely destroyed because the unions were unreasonable. Another case, another perfect example of how unions get out of hand is the uh, Victoria Fire Service. They've just completed a pay round, in, especially for the firefighters in Melbourne, where they get more than half of the year off on leave and a massive over $100,000 in pay. It's just insane. And that's exactly how industries disappear. Yeah. And a union managed to completely collapse that industry because of the BNZ building in Wellington that just took forever to build and went way over budget. So no one built with boilermakers anymore. There's no steel buildings. Bridges could have made a case for economy where we cut regulation, we make it cheaper to live because we have cut regulation, especially cut regulation around housing. Instead of people saying, oh, we need unions to improve incomes, we could have been saying, no, we don't. We need to cut the cost of the state and increase people's purchasing power with the income that they have. Didn't hear that. And I don't even know whether he comprehended it. He was too busy bloody being progressive. Yeah, and that's the thing. National needs to establish in the minds of the public that they are not going to intrude on your life. They're not going to be the nanny state. They're not going to subsidise things. They're not going to pick winners and pick badly, by the way, when they do do that, that they're going to let people live their own lives with little interference as possible. I tell you what, after three years of this Labour government with Jacinda's virtue signalling with, you know, little sad faces and concerned faces that she puts on, they're not going to achieve anything. The poor are still going to be poor. The middle classes are going to get squeezed as usual and the rich are going to get the picture. And nothing's going to change. And National needs to elucidate a vision that they can actually stop all of this. And being just like Labour, but blue instead of red, isn't a vision. No, it certainly isn't. It's just not even close to being a vision. To my mind, too, Amy Adams has to step up. If she's this visionary of the National Party, this person the media have talked up for being a future leader, she's going to have to perform in that finance role. And to my mind, and I've written about this in a couple of posts, she's going to have to do what Robbo never did, and that is produce an alternative budget that shows people a better choice. And that better choice doesn't have to be tax cuts. It has to be a better way of doing things. Yeah, and it's not just... Robbo, I mean, he was dead set useless as the finance guy, but it was his predecessors too. They refused to put the hours in 
to create an alternative budget to show how they would run the New Zealand economy. And when it comes down to it, all the rest of the policies don't matter much. If you can't fund them, they're not going to work. I just don't know that Simon Bridges is going to demand that of Amy Adams. So Amy probably won't do it herself. We won't know what Nationals' vision is. They'll just react to what Labor put forward and complain about everything. But they won't show that they're fit to govern because they have got a decent set of books to show the New Zealand public saying, this is the stuff we believe in, this is what we want to do, and this is how we'll fund it. To be fair, Labor never had a vision either. They got through on slogans, and if National thinks they can get through on slogans, it won't work because they have to give people a reason to change. If they think that they're going to win after one term, Labor has to make some pretty bad mistakes in the next two and a bit years for that to happen because people will be willing to give them another go. And National has to be able to show that life is so appalling under Labor that there is a willingness to change. And I can't see that happening. I really can't see that happening right now. I mean, obviously, everything can change. You and I don't like doing predictions because it's politics and everything can change. Just nine weeks out from the election, uh, Labour was dead. Then they changed to Jacinda Ardern. It was all over for Bill English. Just a simple change like that. Now, I don't believe Jacinda Ardern's got a vision either. In fact, the only person I think in Parliament right now who has a vision whether it's a right vision or a wrong vision, history will tell in the future. But it's Winston Peters. You know, people accuse me of being a Winston fan and all of that. They should go back and look through the things that I've written about him. I've called him corrupt. I've called him all sorts of things. But right now, for this focus on a New Zealand first focus on regional development and those sorts of things, I can see that Winston actually does have a vision. Whether or not he can implement it is a whole other matter. At least he's talking about doing something rather than what Labour does where they just sloganise. Yeah, I mean, I think we're both opposed to Shane Jones thinking he can pick winners in regional New Zealand. But at the same time, if you ever get the chance to talk to Winston about some of the greats in New Zealand Parliament in the past, he'll talk very persuasively about the 60s where the World War II veterans really stood for community and they stood for New Zealanders and they stood for New Zealand first and very, very persuasive. You may not agree with him, but it is a very, very interesting insight and he does have a vision. I don't know whether he can implement it or not, but he actually does have a vision. Yeah, and that's the thing. I could see Winston in the lead up to the next election saying, look, we had a vision. There were some things we wanted to do. We didn't quite get there. The reason we didn't get there is because we didn't get enough votes. Back us give us 15% of the vote and we'll be able to deliver these visions this vision in a more meaningful way. And I think he'll be able to do that. And what Simon Bridge is going to do, is he going to still run the anti-Winston plan? Because I haven't seen any desire for National to change that. Maybe a very vicious lawsuit played out in court over the next 12 months might actually adjust National's thinking on that. I'm not hearing anything out of National that wants to broker any sort of detente with New Zealand First at the moment. Yeah, Mark Mitchell certainly talked about it, but Mark gets on with everyone. I don't know that anyone else is doing that. That does get back to what is the route to back into government for National. How do they get to 61 seats? And any sensible person wanting to be Prime Minister would be trying to do some kind of deal with New Zealand First. If National couldn't get to 61 seats under John Key, they're certainly not going to under Simon Bridges. No, no, definitely not. Or Amy Adams, or Mark Mitchell, or Judith Collins, or any of them. You need to have a plan that involves partners. And I'm hearing a lot of talk about setting up a new party. 
But again, that party has to have a vision to attract votes. You and I both have been approached, I know, in recent months, even in recent years, about how to set up a new party and is it possible and all that. And most of the people who approach us are dead set idiots when it comes to politics. You know, they've all given it a go with their little hunting parties and their outdoors parties and the rural party, the conservative party. You have to have more than just a bucket of money and a good idea. You actually have to have sensible things so that people don't look at you and go, well, that guy's a hayseed or, God, that guy's a creep or what an idiot. You know, even Gareth Morgan failed that test. He should never have been the leader. No, but then his vanity project wouldn't have been enough of a play for his ego to make it worthwhile. I mean, I think that's what the overriding vision is for most politicians. It is their vanity. They profess to be in politics for the people, but they just do dumb shit. And it turns out that their vision is, how can I stay in power for as long as I can and do the least amount of work to get there? And can I get a knighthood at the end of it? It's just shameful. I actually blame MMP for this because everyone's too scared to be polarizing. You know, that was the criticism of Judith Collins. She's too polarizing. Well, that's how you get things to happen, by being polarizing. Take a position and fight your corner. That's what politics used to be like. Now it's a whole bunch of focus groups sitting around, wetting their fingers and seeing which way the wind's blowing. Well, that's not government. That's not vision. And unfortunately, National became conditioned into that, basically under the campaign leadership of Stephen Joyce for 12 odd years. Yeah, I don't know. MMPs to blame. I think that most politicians have been egomaniacs and more into the accumulation of power and prestige and doing the right thing um, forever in any system. So I think it's a bit harsh blaming MMP. Um, I mean, maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think that in the past, all our politicians were noble, worthy people. No, they weren't. They were venal and corrupt, and they have been for a long time. But what I'm saying is that MMP as a system encourages politicians to be vanilla, brown bread, to be a manila folder. It's that bland now in politics because they don't want to upset a small niche over there. And that's why you see whole bunches of harpies out there you know, protesting and getting results on the basis of their 1% or 2% and they're having a sook and a cry on Twitter. I despised Muldoon when he was in government, but you look back retrospectively and have a look at some of the things that he's done, the things that people opposed. You know, They opposed the Clyde Dan, they opposed Motunui, they opposed Marsden Point expansion. But all of those things delivered energy security to New Zealand, which is driving our economy now. And the funniest thing ever is everyone opposed the Clyde Dam. And they said it was dreadful, it was awful. And now all those green wombles want to plug in electric cars and guess where they're getting their power from? They probably would prefer to have it from Clyde Dam than from um, a coal plant near Huntley. Yeah, my point is, is that Muldoon, for all of his faults, right or wrong, he had a vision and he set about delivering it. Now, it turns out some of those things were pretty good, but they weren't at the time. You know, and we all fought to get rid of him. And heaps of people that I know who support National Now voted for Labour in 1984 because Muldoon just let power go to his head. But doesn't mean he was wrong. The thing that I admire about Labour especially, and people like Muldoon and Thatcher and Reagan, is they had a vision and they implemented it. They basically said, stuff you to everybody else. They went ahead and did it. Labour does that as well. You know, they've got in and they've started changing things. Like Hepkins is getting rid of charter schools. It's wrong. But he's doing what he said he was going to do. Yeah, and what he obviously believes in. And that's what National is 
always scared of, frightened to upset the horses. Oh, those people will be upset. You can't make everybody happy. And so Simon Bridges is going to have to realise that. He's going to have to realise that every time he opens his dog and bangs on about his vision for Maori, he loses votes. And he'll probably lose those votes to New Zealand first. Yeah, I don't know whether ACT is competent enough to win them. Anyway, yeah, I just don't think he's going to win many votes by going on about that. All right, quick 30 seconds, Simon. What do you think National needs to tell us about their vision for the future of New Zealand? Well, I think that it gets back to that alternative budget. Let's see them actually do the work that shows them how they're going to fund what they want to do because I don't think they know. So we're going to have a whole lot of random policies that don't hang together in any coherent way. A little bit of discipline around a budget would give them some coherence and a a central theme of what they're doing. Yeah, and I agree with that. They need to have a clear vision of very simple things that matter to New Zealanders. And all the polling, you ask David Farrow, the best pollster in New Zealand at Curia, he'll tell you there's only a few things that matter to Kiwi voters. Their health, education, the economy, and security. And when I say security, I mean defence and law and order. They don't care about climate change. They certainly don't care about Whakapapa and Tereo and anything else. No one cares about that. So they need to focus on those things. And if they can concentrate on those five core messages, then I think they've got a chance. But until they do, then I'm afraid I think they're going to struggle to win at the next election. Yeah, I concur with that. All right. Thanks a lot, Simon. And there'll be another episode of Dirty Politics out shortly. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Bye.